The Big Sip. Hey, hey, this is Gabriela, your host for The Big Sip. And today, oh my gosh, I am so stoked. This individual right here, I mean, it just does so much. He's author of Fruit in a Glass. He's also owner of Grapes and Sand Publishing. And he's a certified sommelier, which just ties into everything that he does with his writing work. He just has so many incredible stories to tell. And so I'm really excited to get to know a little bit more about him, sit from his cup, get you all to sit from his cup and just dive into this incredible individual Jayton Gunter. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm nervous. Oh, don't be nervous. No, no, we're drinking wine. We're talking about you. You're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> As he's repping his brand, Wino, right on his hat. I love it. <laughs> and that's what we are, right? We are lovers of wine. That's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. When I think about all of the things that you currently do, you know, wine writer, owner of a publishing company, you know, certified sommelier. I mean, that's a, a lot of different titles and roles for, for one person. Um, <laughs> Is there one that kind of started it before all the others or or which came first or did they all kind of come together? Or? So first, the way I got into the wine game, what, what was my first like kind of, I guess, induction into the, the wine career or whatever? It was blogging. I've always been a writer. So I've been writing mm. since like five years old. That was always like a passion of mine. I love that. It's the one thing that always stayed consistent until I worked a corporate job for a little bit and I had some time off. I started off writing. That's always been kind of like my consistent thing. And I was getting into wine quite a bit bit of course got into it because of women you know, <laughs> you, you, you want to impress them you want wine and women exactly. <laughs> i was in college and i was like okay there's all these neanderthals running around pounding kegs and stuff and i knew i could drink but i didn't want to drink that stuff what's going to separate me from all these other guys and so let me try out wine and i started trying out wine since then it's really been a slippery slope i just i love education i love history and once i started getting the history of some of these grapes it mm. really brought me into the world of wine and so i started off blogging first that was my first intro into the wine industry and I did that for a couple years and then as I was doing that that led me into I'm going to do private buying for people all my friends who were like thinking about getting into wine I was going and buying stuff for them and helping them set up their wine collections that they were paying me per month it's kind of like a wine club and I would go find their wines it's a nice lucrative business for yourself I mean (laughs) I always had kind of a mind for the stuff but like the marketing was always a problem for me I've always and I'm getting better now I'm still not great at that but that led me into the business of private buying that was fun I was doing it for some um, big time guys in, in South Bay too so that was also a learning experience I went from like drinking these Trader Joe's and two buck chuck two we buck all chuck. know that yeah exactly because I'm, I'm on a college, college budget. budget exactly but how can we be sophisticated on a budget exactly and so you're sitting there right and you're like I'm drinking all this stuff on my day to day you know while I'm blogging about it but then I have somebody who's like you know CEO of this company and he wants some Montrachet or San Emilion or something like that and I'm like okay now I gotta really step up my game because I'm taking with these guys I'm trying to figure out what their palate is because mm-hmm. everything I was doing was perfect for everyone's palate like we were trying to dial in your palate and figure out what kind of wines work for you monthly so that, that led me into the private buying and then the psalm stuff was just so I could legitimize myself and ended up passing that and then that led me into working as a psalm and I kept writing the whole time and that led me into the writing wow yeah. what a whirlwind journey <laughs> which it just goes to show right like as long as you love what you're doing it's all gonna take you somewhere so real and it I, I just like think it's also too so cool how like you were not only helping other people discover their palates and buying for them but you know when it comes to the sommelier world yeah. I, I personally feel and I'm not a, a certified sommelier so correct me here if I'm wrong but you got a great palate <laughs> I drank with you you have a great palate 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel like there's this misconception where sommeliers tell you what you need to like. And I like that the first thing that came out of your mouth right now was, let me help you by figuring out what you like. Yeah, it's important to me. I never really want to... I'm not the type to beat anybody over the head with anything. Even if I feel like I know more than someone in the situation, I can still learn from that person. Mm -hmm. And so because I, I enter in every situation, instead of trying to teach the learning and actually listening instead of just listening to respond. Mm, that's deep. It does help me out a little bit. And it does um, keep people around me because I really am not here to try to judge anybody's palate. I really just want to help educate them to find what best fits their palate. And then if they want to broaden into something else, they have questions, of course, well, we can go there. But I'm not going to jump down your throat and tell you about like what you need to do. Even with the book, even with Fruit and Glass, as I'm like going through the chapters, these things are just suggestions. These are things are just what people in my career think about as a song. And so... I'm just giving you the techniques, but it's not, you don't have to do the techniques. I just want you to enjoy the juice. I love that. Enjoy the juice. Enjoy We're the here juice. for the juice. The juice <laughs> makes us loose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so lucky. You just gave me a copy of Fruit in a Glass, Wine, Myths, Facts, and Opinions, which I love. I, I loved getting to start, like starting to get to read this for many, many reasons. I want it. I think it's incredibly entertaining Thank just, you. you know, how you're able to talk about wine in a way that people understand. But more than anything, you really approach this in a way that's different from historically, at least myself, being in the industry and, and just being born and raised in Napa Valley specifically. There's this sort of feeling that's always been in the wine industry where you can't necessarily ask the questions or feel comfortable enough to ask questions where you show you're a novice, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are quick to make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. You don't belong here when it's... I, I want to learn about this. Why shouldn't I be able to ask these very basic, simple questions mm -hmm. to understand a little bit more about your world? And you really break that down in this book. That was the reason why I wrote the book. One of the reasons why I wrote the book. What was going on was I would be in these tasting rooms and I would see people were talking down to people, mm. being very condescending instead of educating them. Imagine me, a black guy, starting into the wine game, right? And these rooms are not a lot of like color. <laughs> period, no, right? no. So, Highly dominated by like older white men usually. Exactly. And so I didn't want to look stupid. So I didn't want to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. So the more I got into the industry, the more I learned, I was like, I got to make the barrier of entry into this industry easier for people, more digestible, because I, I want that. them to be able to ask the questions. They should be able to ask the questions without being talked down to. It used to drive me crazy when I'd be working in Eno, because that was the, the wine bar restaurant I'd worked at in Union Square in San Francisco for uh, seven, eight years. It used to drive me crazy when these guys would come in who had huge collections, so they thought they knew everything about wine. Mm -hmm. And I, they would always be, of course, the host of the table. And I would listen to people asking them questions, and they would talk down to them. And it would drive me crazy because I'm like, this person really knows nothing about wine. They just have the money to get a really nice collection. Right. That does not sit well with me. There's no stupid questions in wine. We're all trying to figure this out. And mm -hmm. anybody who tells you that they know everything about wine is... Cap. Ne ne cap. <laughs> Calling that. It's never... <laughs> The truth is, it's just not. It's not. I've talked to master psalms who are supposed to be at the top of the mountaintop when it comes to education, and they've even said that. Like, someone tells you, oh, they know everything about Italian wines, they don't know what they're talking about. Because well, there's changes. so much to learn. It's ever evolving. Ever of, and that's the cool part about yeah. wine, right? Is that's there's a never an end point where you're like, I've learned everything that I can learn. Mm -hmm. And that's like with life, too, in general. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I look at it, too. Like I'm always trying to learn. You can learn something from a homeless person. I actually did learn something from a homeless person. 
at coffee one time. I went to a Starbucks right by my college in San Jose way back in the day. I had to be like 19 or 20. And I remember I used to go to these poetry slams because I, I write poetry too. I love that. And I'm actually working on a second book right now. But anyway, I used to go to these poetry slams again to get women. <laughs> Right. If you could, if you could. The goal was always to get women. It didn't matter what we were doing. No. Hey, but you're you're in a good place. Wine and writing poetry. You know how to woo a woman. Well, so the thing was, I was I, the writing poetry was always for me. But then the getting up and speaking it, you know, watching a little bit of Love Jones and stuff. You, oh, you start love thinking, that movie. You start being like, okay, I could do this. I could be Darius, right? So I remember one of the guys who ran the poetry thing. He came up to me and we were just talking. He was very knowledgeable. He was a senior, and I was like a freshman, I think, at the time or a sophomore. And I used to look up to the guy because the guy could write his ass off. He basically told me, he said, yo, no matter what in life, one thing I could tell you, you can learn from anybody. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, okay, I'm, I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's in one ear and out the other ear. I was sitting at Starbucks probably about a week later and I'm chilling. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm writing poetry at, at the time because I used to do that. That was like my, my people watching. Your zone. <laughs> that was my zone. I'm people watching. <laughs> got a little coffee. I got a little bit of wine in my bag that I pour into like a little teacup that I can sip out of <laughs> while I'm writing because it's part of my process. And uh, this homeless guy sits next to me and he just starts talking and people are just like not wanting to talk to him. And I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm still writing, whatever, not moving away from him like a lot of people were. And he says something like, Hey, kid. And I was like, you're talking to me? He's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. And he says, um, love is the most important thing in life. And when you find it, don't let it go. And there are going to be trials and tribulations mm. put in front of you that makes you want to run away from love. Don't let it happen. Take mm. it from me. And then he mm. got up and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Way to make an, an exit mic drop, right? I really was. I was sitting there like, okay and then I started thinking about it and I had stopped writing because I was just trying to kind of internalize what he said and I said huh I'm gonna take that little tidbit and I wrote it down and I've always looked at it I always go back to it every once in a while that. and stuff and me and my lady been together for we're going on 14 years this year oh my gosh yeah, yes so it's like it's really like one of those things where you're yeah, like trials guy, and tribulations but we here we here we still here we still standing <laughs> and, and we're still very much in love so it's just you know it's good I love that. That is such a beautiful story. Yeah. And you're not wrong. We can learn from absolutely everybody around us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes being open to just having conversations with any person who's around you, whether it be about wine, whether it be about love, whatever it's going to be about, mm -hmm. we can all absorb and learn from one another. Yes. Yes. And and one of the things that I love about Fruit in a Glass, just from, I need to finish this book and I already <laughs> know, I, I'm excited. I'm like, not a halfway through, maybe a third of the way through. <laughs> um, so now that I got the hard copy, it's going to be a lot <laughs> easier to finish. It's hard to read those computer screens. <laughs> no, but this is so great. One of the things that I really appreciated about the way that you frame this book, again, you know, you're here to talk about wine, about the fruit that's in the glass, but you do it in a way that's understandable. And how you do that is by relating wine to something that we all experience, which is relationships. Yeah. Where did those two connections come from? How did you decide to merge those two worlds together to talk about wine? Or what made you think about relationships when it comes to wine? This is going to be, and people are going to call cap on this, but this is the, <laughs> this is the God's honest truth. When we were in college, right, I had two groups of friends. I had my friends that were from my dorm, and those are like my brothers. I'm still tied with most of them today. Um, and... My, and those are my domino buddies. We we play bones all the time. And then I had my other crew that were a bunch of artists, not so always great with the ladies. 
And, um, you know, <laughs> and so what happened was I was always comfortable around women because I had a lot of female friends. Like, and we just, I mean, mm -hmm. we could talk about anything. And I, of course, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't judge people. So they kept me around. They wanted a guy's perspective a lot of times. So the guys were actually really good at, um, <laughs> this is going to sound funny. Um, <laughs> talking, I'm excited. Talking to women. The other guy said, you guys are going to be our counsel. And so literally it was four of us four or five of us, one would rotate in and out when he was around. And all the guys who were friends with us that were kind of like not good with women, they'd be like, yo, we need to call a council meeting. I'm having a problem with this situation. Or I don't know how to approach this girl. Or Like when it came to relationships? Yes. I love that you had a soundboard, though, yeah, to begin it with. It's so funny. Like it, It's unbelievable. Like We still talk to each other. And like every once in a while, one of them will walk up to me and be like, yo, Godfather. Like, bro, I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, like I've been trying to tell him, like, yo, I'm not that guy. That was a long time ago. And even then, I was not a guy. I was just somebody who was comfortable, you know, with women. And I think that's the biggest thing when you're dealing with opposite sex is being comfortable, or the same sex is being comfortable with talking mm, to them. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I wanted this book to feel. I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable dealing with wine, grapes, all types of stuff, bottles. I wanted you to feel comfortable to ask them any question, to be able to listen to what it says back to you and then respond, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's, again, part of the entire conversation when it comes to how do we welcome in more people into the community of wine? And it's making it approachable. Like wine isn't supposed to be this like huge cerebral thing. It's yeah. supposed to be something that we can all enjoy, share a glass over i mean you take a look at you know other countries they use wine as a a moment during a dinner table to connect yeah. and to say like how was your day and you have these like shared memories and beautiful experiences <laughs> yeah. and it's supposed to be something positive not something that makes you feel gross about yourself yeah. or that turns you away i mean that's just not that's not how we want to approach it so I, I just i love that you used relationships as this sort of metaphor to attack wine and understanding wine and i think that's something that can really hit home with a lot of people yeah. I, that was, I mean, I just, I just knew that was the, the connective tissue. I just knew that because that's how I write anyway. I've always been about like understanding relationships with people, friends, uh, family, love relationships, significant other yes. relationships, <laughs> uh, marriage, all that stuff. I've always, I like learning about those kind of things and understanding what makes one tick. Because my parents have been married for forty-one years. Oh my god! And, and they, and there's. It's crazy. It's kind of lightweight, nasty to us because they're so open with how much they love each other. No, I love it. And me and my brother be like, "Can you guys take that somewhere else?" Like me and my brothers, like, "Come <laughs> on, man!" Like they do this thing where every time they see, they enter a room and they see each other, they walk up to each other before they say anything, and they give each other like three kisses every oh. single time. And I just be seeing like, "Y'all ain't done with that yet." <laughs> but, no, but. Are, Are you trying to be done with that? No. Is your lady trying to be done with that? Probably well, not. Exactly. So like now I'm older and I could take myself back out of this out of that situation of being their son and seeing it and be like, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. But at the time, as I was growing up, I was like, Ugh. And me and my, me and my brothers were like, oh, can y'all stop? They hold hands <laughs> everywhere. They go date nights. And it's, yeah, they're very much in love. It and, sounds like it's a beautiful thing. It is. It does. It really is. I'm curious to know if the poetry that you said you started writing since you were a kid, mm -hmm. where did that get inspired from? And what were you really talking about? <laughs> what was much of your poetry stemming from? Was it from love and, and all of these, you know, examples that you were seeing around you or how did that really catapult you into a lot of what you do right now in your present career? That is a really good question. What happened was I was considered a very serious kid. My mother used to say this all the time. She's like those marks, in, like when you're thinking too hard, those two little, 
crinkles in between your eyes <laughs> are going to stay there permanently because you just all that's all the look you always give. And I used to tell her, I was like, well, I have a lot to think about. It's like, you're a child. You don't have a lot to think about. <laughs> but I was always like in my head, like trying to understand things. And I felt like I couldn't get it out anywhere. I didn't think anybody understood me, which people, they just don't. No one really understands who you are totally. Right. No matter who you are. And so because I started to recognize that, I was like, where am I going to get this out? Because I'm angry. I'm sad about certain things. I want to be happy about certain things. So how do I get it out? Mm -hmm. And writing poetry was the way I did it. And then I found out women like that, too. So I was like, oh, cool. I can, <laughs> when I got in high school, I could start, like, redirecting a little bit towards them. And then I watched Love Jones. I was really like, okay, let's go. <laughs> he, he keeps referencing Love Jones. It's, it's like one of my favorite movies. Oh, my God. It's in my top five of all time. Oh, 100%. 100%. I've seen that movie so many times. Uh, it's disgusting how many times I've seen that movie. <laughs> and I used to use it as a move when I was, like, dating. If the girl, if I had three dates with the lady by the third date, I would We were that. watching Love Jones. Yeah, Just so you can know what's up. Well, I well, I want to know if like how her take was because that would let me know if I want to go further with anything. Like oh, that was kind of my intuitive. bar. Like, are you really into Love Jones? Okay, cool. We we can rock a little bit longer. If you're not, <laughs> yo, it was fun. Yo, you got a couple dinners out of it. We <laughs> had great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's a learning lesson at the end of the day, right? Real and that's talk. what we're here to we're take and learn and absorb and all this good stuff. Yeah. So you started off originally then writing poetry as a way to really express yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't think uh, enough adults acknowledge how important that is, right? Because, yeah. I mean, right now you were like, oh, you know, what's a kid got to be stressed about? A lot. A lot. Kids are, we don't give kids enough credit as we should as adults. I mean, we quickly forget about everything we absorb from a really young age, yeah. you know, and, and kids these days are certainly dealing with that even if you think you're the most perfect parent or you're the most perfect you know influence on a child's mm -hmm. life there are so many outside forces and factors that are also impacting that child's yeah. daily life um, so to have an outlet like poetry just really help you not even just in, in that period of your life I mean you are the author of Fruit in a Glass you also own your own publishing company yeah. how did that come to fruition no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> for real um, originally um so I wrote a, I wrote a novel when I was 21. That was when I f completed my first novel. Wow. And um, I wrote it. It was I mean, it's considered a manuscript because it's not published. But I wrote my first manuscript when I was 20, 2021. Don't diminish yourself. I, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm just being honest. And so I tried to, my whole idea was like, I'm going to write this novel. They're going to say, this kid is young. How does he understand so much about the world? You know, this is what i am go got going on in my head. And I'm, they're going to take this novel and it's going to blow up. And I'm going to be this like amazing writer and all that. And fell right on my face. Like, nope. Because I, I didn't realize that you needed a literary agent before you approach these publishing companies. What so, does that mean? Sorry, for someone as me that does not understand that. So basically, when you're trying to pitch a book, you need somebody who's going to pitch it for you professional, which is a literary agent to these publishing companies. So it's a, it's a middleman. You don't, gotcha. go, you don't go directly to the publishing company. You're not supposed to. Gotcha. Because they, they'll see your manuscript and throw it right in the trash a lot of times. Interesting. And so what I was doing, I started sending these, uh, these pitches to different literary agents. And you know, print at the time was on the decline. So people were just not trying to get, unless you were an established writer, it was hard to get in the door. I mean, you could still come in as a new writer, but it was really, really hard. So I was getting mm. rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. And then I realized, I was like, what am I really writing these for? Is, am I writing these novels? Like, do I want to write for other people or am I writing it for me? Because at first, for a while, I was upset about it. But then I thought, thought about it. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to write for myself. So I did. I wrote that novel. Then I wrote another one after that. Then I wrote another one after that. I've written three manuscripts, and I never had planned to get the other ones out. I just was going to write them. Wow. 
when Fruit and Glass came about, I was like, I'm not pitching this to anybody. I'm just going to put it out independently. But then I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well set up my own publishing company. So it was initially just done just to like publish Fruit and Glass. Fruit and, Glass. and then I started thinking, I was like, you know what? I, I wrote this poetry book before and I published it, but I didn't publish it under my own thing. I published it under uh, .com. Let me go ahead and take that, revise it, and then I will put it out through my own publishing company. And then I was like, wait, I have novels. Like, I have manuscripts. I'm going to publish a novel. I was like, forget this. I'm going to publish a novel. And so I went to that to like, yeah. And then me and Armando, uh, Tito Armando, he's an amazing chef, if you don't know who he is. Amazing chef. We have collaborated on, on a book where he's going to be doing all the recipes. I'm doing all the wine pairings. And we're giving love to the Bay Area, brown and black people, uh, minorities. It's it's it's. We'll get into that, but that's like <laughs> that's my baby right now. I mean, so I've been working hard on that, and I'm a public. It's gonna be the first time I'm collaborating with somebody and publishing under my publishing company. And I plan on publishing other people after this. This is kind of like my first venture into collaboration. So we'll see. This <laughs> is huge. I mean, all of this is huge. Talk about literally being like, I'm not waiting for anybody to give me the life that I want. I'm gonna take matters into my own hand. And honestly, I don't even know. I think about myself personally, like, I don't know where you get the drive after receiving so much rejection, because I think about myself mm -hmm. and how I am personally, mm -hmm. that's enough to get somebody to be like, maybe this isn't for me, or, you know, nobody wants to invest in my work, or I'm going to try a different path. Like, where did you draw on the inspiration to literally be like, nah, I'm gold, like, yeah. I'm going to do me and bring this literally to life. I'll be honest with you. My whole life, I've always known I've had something special in me. Always. Like, it's just one of those things. My parents, of course, they they are definitely about, like, self-esteem. They're big about that kind of stuff. And so, like, I always just had it in me that I said I had something special. What happened was I started working a corporate job. Corporate job with AT&T for eight years. And I was really just in the folds of, of the corporate monster. It'll suck the life it out will, of you. It will. And I actually, for a little bit, I had stopped writing. Like, for, like... Three years out of that time, out of the late years, I stopped writing. Wasn't, and I was wondering why I was getting so angry at little things. One day I was on my patio and I started writing and everything got released from my shoulders. And I said, oh, wow, that's what it's been the whole time. And so I continued to write after that. Coming up to your question, I felt like my back's been against the wall. I felt like I was working as a psalm in Union Square. Great job, by the way. Like It was one of my favorite places to work. But I was like, if I'm not totally fulfilled here, which I can do whatever I want. I had nobody over the top of me telling me what to do. I was, I was just like really being able to just run the place when I was there. And I worked my hours when I worked it. It was great. I was like, if I'm not fulfilled here, then I need to really be taking it up a notch maybe on my writing and maybe do more with that. So with all that rejection, I just felt like my back was against the wall because if I didn't make the move now and to go like fully into what I wanted to do, then what was going to come next? I'm going to get another job doing that same thing and not be happy. Right. No, my back was against the wall and there's greatness in me. I'm going to try to tap into that and I'm going to get it done. And so that's where I'm at right now. Like, I have to do it. Like, there is nothing that's going to keep me from getting where I want to go. And so that's what happened. I basically was just not happy, <laughs> like fully happy. And I knew what makes me happy is writing. And so let's go. And you listen to yourself I at do. the end of the day. That I've always been in my own head, always, since I was a kid. I mean, it's always been in my own head. But the only the thing is now I'm so much happier because... You choose yourself. I, well, I love life. I've always been like one of those people, like as an adult, when my friends hear my mother tell them that I was always stern and always like not angry, but like pensive as a child, they're like, you're crazy. Jay's always smiling and having a good time and stuff. Cause I've learned how to, I learned how to balance that out. That is a 
fantastic story. And I think that very few and far between people have enough determination to place themselves in a position where they're just like, I know what I bring to the table. I'm so certain with myself. And you were going through a period where you're just like, there's no way this is the end of the road. Like, and, and you, everybody gets to a certain point, right? At some point in their career where they're like, is this, is this it? Yeah. You know, and some people are totally fine with feeling, I don't want to bag on people who stay in positions that they're not happy in. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like my friend Miriam always says mm. this one thing where she goes, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. tolerated. Yeah, I know that saying. And it literally, the moment I ever heard her say that, I'm just, it like changed my whole perspective yeah. on everything. And that can totally be about you yourself as well. The things that you celebrate yourself for, mm. not the things that you're willing to tolerate mm. or, you know, continue to allow yourself to be in a position where maybe you're not a hundred percent fully happy mm. asking yourself those difficult questions about what can propel me there. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of freaking work, but yeah. guess what? If you do the work, there's going to be positive things yes. that reap themselves at the end of the day. Yes. That's exactly how I feel. It's funny. So no diss to like people who work the 40 hours a week, corporate jobs, 80 hours a week nowadays. Um, no diss to them. Cause I actually like, if that's, if that's what you love, then that's what you love. And that's what hundred percent. But for me, there always had to be something more. I always had to at least be working on a side project. I always had something that I was doing on the side because I felt like this. Can, I can't be defined by this. This is not going to define me. What's going to define me is what I put out, mm -hmm. what I do in this world. And so I didn't want to be under someone else's umbrella and doing all this stuff to make them their legacy shine, but I'm not doing anything for my own. And so that's what I meant by my back against the walls. Like there's, I have to do something else. I can't just stay focused on this. I mean, I may still work a job in a restaurant. I still have no problem with doing that and doing the Psalm stuff, but my business stuff will still be your at the primary, my primary concern. Yeah. At the forefront, it's yeah. what you, what you're building. It's yeah. your legacy that you want to give to yourself. Yeah. And there's mad respect behind that because you know what? Maybe that also means that you're not living the corporate job, but you're still putting in those 80 hours a week. Oh, the difference is you're putting it into yourself as in. opposed into somebody else. That's true. That's and true. it takes a lot to get somebody to a position to be like, I'm going to give myself this. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing because obviously like now you've got fruit and glass. Now you're working on, as you just touched up on it a little bit ago, you know, this amazing project that you have coming up with this phenomenal being here in the Bay Area <laughs> so who, dope. again, I don't want to call him chef because that does not do this individual not justice. But Armando Tam is just such a force throughout the Bay Area and you're collaborating with him. So talk to everybody a little bit about the new Vibras that you got coming out with this. So, so Armando's funny because we, um, I was working at Eno as a psalm and we just started talking he was having a business meeting at Eno and it's the first time he's ever been there and we're just talking you know shooting it back and forth and he says something about like yeah a lot of people up from where I come from don't make it out to doing what I'm doing and I said where is that he said Antioch and I looked at him and I said you know you're not from Antioch bro <laughs> He's like, no, I'm from Antioch. I was like, I'm from Antioch. He's like, you're kidding me. I was like, no, I'm there. From, I'm from, I went to Deer Valley. I was graduating, like the first graduating class ever from Deer Valley High School. And I was like, you went to Antioch High? He's like, yeah. And he's like, I played ball. I said, I played basketball too in high school. And then so we just connected with that. And that led us into like, you know, exchanging information. Um, and I would see what he was doing online. And I'd always be like in the background, like, yo, DM, like, yo, that was dope. Keep on going, bro. Like we was always supporting each other. He'd do the same thing for me. And I went to one of his, um, one of his events and I had a great time. And fast forward, he wants to interview me for something, one of his platforms. 
And I'm like, cool. We're having a great conversation. And in the interview, he's like, let's talk offline about this publishing house that you're talking about, this publishing company. And I said, all right. And so when we got off, he started talking to me about wanting to do a cookbook. And the funny thing is I wanted to do a cookbook about two years prior to that with a, a chef, but it didn't work out. So I was like, okay, this would be cool. But right now I'm not in the place to have anybody else as a partner or anything to publish anybody else's works. And he talked me into like just doing like a, a real cool partnership with it. And I said, okay, I'm on board. Let's go. And it's been wonderful, man. You, you give the guy a deadline, he gets it done. He's he's a hard worker and he he's one of those guys who's bi-coastal. So he's all over the place. It's really hard for him to, uh, you know, it should be hard for him to actually get stuff done, but he knocks it out. I'm always blown away. I'm like, yo, you just flew in from a work trip and if someone tells you, hey, yo, I got this opportunity. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm on my way. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't you want to relax first? Con- consummate <laughs> businessman and renaissance man. Like the guy is just salsa dances too. I mean, come on. <laughs> it just goes to show like he's truly like for... Let's make sure that the culture, that brown and black people have a place in this industry across multiple different fields so that we can really uplift each other. And I think what y'all are about to do with this collaboration, I mean, it makes sense, right? He's bringing the food. You're highlighting foods of different cultures and backgrounds. We're not talking about your regular, you know, French cuisine. We're paying the steak and cab. We've seen that. It's, you know, it's out there. We don't want to mimic the same thing that's already out there. Y'all are doing something new. Yeah, it's fun. It, the, the process, I mean, think about it, right? Like you have this amazing chef cooking great food and I get to sit there and taste it and try wines with it. It's like, that's hard work. No, <laughs> not, the hard work is the organizing and the, the publishing side of it and organizing it and getting it to a, a designer, a book designer, and then also getting it to a couple editors and then going back and refixing it and then publishing, like printing it and then publishing it. So that's that's the hard part. But the other part where we're just kicking it and eating great food and drinking great wine and listening to great music and having amazing conversations about the future. Yo, I can do the best every day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the conversations for me. That's where, that's where my heart always feels the most fulfilled. Right. It's just, cause when would you, I mean, that's literally how you and I met. Yeah. That's literally how we met. And I was like, it's the conversations. And at the same time, like you said, you know what, there's other work that's going to happen later on Mm. down the road once you start putting it all together. But the coolest thing about this is the impact that it's going to make on the culture. Once it's out, people will see themselves in that book that you're creating. Are you allowed to say what it's called? It's a vibe. It's a vibe. And that's exactly what it's going to be in your kitchen all the time, whether it's with food, the wine, the music, the people, it's a vibe. And we already know that about the culture. Yes. It's going to be dope. (laughs) We're really, I'm looking forward to it because we really wanted to create a, a vibe. We really want to create a scene of like, you know, you have the, like, say you're on a day and you got a, somebody over, you know, you got the wine going, you got your little playlist going, you know, you're about to have this amazing dish. Like, I want to be able to have everything tied together and go, go seamless for you to have that experience. And so it's going to be, it's a vibe by Armando and Jayton. And yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to doing that, man. It's, this has been great. I'm hoping to get it published by the end of the year. That's an amazing goal. And I have no doubt in my mind that you guys will be able to accomplish that together. And I can't wait to literally go out and buy. That's going to be the best. (laughs) Always, always, always. The number one thing we can always do is support, 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 which is exactly why one, we love to highlight these stories because it gives people an opportunity to get to know you from you, you, the stuff that you're doing, how you're getting sip done. Um, (laughs) But then also too, 
and how people can go ahead and support because that's what we want to make sure we're doing. But we're always uplifting uh, our communities. The one thing that I love too about your specific role in this book is you're not only tying in your love for writing, you're also utilizing your certified sommelier certification, yeah. which is just like how, what more perfect world would you want than to bridge your two loves together? I mean, <laughs> it works. I don't know, like, it's, it's funny because wine has always been a part of my process anyway when I write. Like, it's just, even when I used to spend those times, me I'd go partying uh, in the clubs in San Jose, and then I'd get home at like 1.30, 2 o'clock. And from like 2 o'clock a.m. to like 5 o'clock, I'd be on my laptop working my pen and paper work writing, like just depending on, you know, when it was. Because earlier days, <laughs> it was always pen and pad, but later on it became like, you know, the laptop. And I'd be sitting there playing John Coltrane uh, and probably Blue Train or something. Um, and just writing my behind off with like a cigar, because back then, you know, you can smoke in your apartment. I don't know about now, but you can smoke in your apartment. <laughs> I was smoking my cigar in my apartment. I'd and have my, sipping. And my wine would be sitting there, and people would walk in, and random friends would come, you know, they know I was at home, and I was still up. They'd come from the club and walk in and be like, you're still working? And then I'd be like, yeah. And they'd sit down, listen to music with me. I'd be sitting there still working. And it was just good. It was like a Jay open... in the studio. <laughs> yeah, it was just how it was. It was, we had a good time. I miss that community because there was a lot of artists in San Jose and we kind of just kind of sharpened each other. Like I'm talking about painters. I'm talking about writers, B-boys, mm. all types of artists, graphic designers in there. And we just were all partners and we still are tight, you know, but we were all partners and we, it was like a collective. They would come in, hang out at my spot, enjoying themselves. I'd go to their spot and be inspired. You know, it was it was amazing. Those are those special moments that people reflect on and think about, you yeah. know, in those moments in time that give you goosebumps that you're just like, that was a moment that shaped me. That was a moment that, like you said, inspired you. Yeah. So I am curious, like who right now presently like inspires you or how do you continuously stay inspired to create? Because everything that you're involved in, that's a creative field. Yeah, it's kind of funny. The thing that inspires me mostly normally is music. The artist that probably does more for my my writing than anybody else, this is crazy to say, but it's the truth though, because he's like constantly on my playlist is Robert Glasper, or the, uh, the mm -hmm. jazz musician. Mm -hmm. His uh, earlier works, along with his current works, but his earlier works for me, like Canvas and stuff, it reminds me of how I used to, when I first started writing, I used to listen to only Miles, Train. I listened to all the jazz greats back in the day, Stan Getz, all those guys. I would listen to these guys. And further along in my growth, I found Robert Glasper. And my ear is kind of musically inclined. I don't, I can't play anything. I've never tried to, so maybe I can, but can't play anything. <laughs> and I think my, my, my ear is very musically inclined. So I would listen to something that he was doing on the keys. And then I'd be like, I'd play this next. And he'd play that note. Or I'd do this next. And he'd do that. He, or I'd slow this down and just break down. And he would do that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm, on, I'm in tune with him mm -hmm. as far as a music, as mm -hmm. far as a creative and an artist. And so mm -hmm. that's what was the, um, that's probably been the artist that has been more inspiring to me than most. There's other artists too. Ralph Ellison as a writer is probably my favorite writer of, of all time, Invisible Man. I'm inspired by a lot of things. I just love seeing someone who tries to master their art of creativity. And that really inspires me. Musicians, painters, whatever. 100%. And it, you then become a reflection of your inspirations and then someone gets inspired by you yeah. and everything else that comes from that. And it's a beautiful cycle. It's, it's like this. When I see someone else doing their work and they're doing it at the top level, I'm like, okay, whatever this piece I'm working on is going to be at the top level. For example, there's this album, Black Star album. It's their only real album together. They're working on one right now. They're gonna, I think they're going to be releasing it soon. New York group, Talib Kweli, Mos Def, right? Yazin, Yazin Bey now, uh, Mos Def mm -hmm. is. 
that album, that hip hop album, has always been like one of my biggest inspirations. And so to to even a point that this next poetry book that I'm going to be publishing, hopefully by the end of this year, beginning of next year, is directly a reflection of the mindset I was at back then and how I am now as far as the black experience in America. And I mm. normally, for me, I've been quiet about a lot of this stuff. Like I'll, you'll hear it in some of my poetry or some other stuff, but this is going to be a direct reflection of how I feel from the time that I was really getting into my black power bag like early in my life in college because most of us in college are very much (laughs) everybody all of us are outspoken then um but then like to now being 40 years old and how the world is right now and how much has changed and what I think hasn't changed I'm putting that all in this book so I'm super excited I'm not going to tell you the title yet but it is something that's going to be tied into that album and yeah I think it's gonna be dope I'm excited whether it does well or not I don't even care it's my it's raw and true and it's gonna be for me it's just to get it out is gonna be dope. And that's passion right there. When you're just like, I'm not even doing this for sales, I'm doing this because this work just needs to come out of me and I need to put it out there. And that's something that's even Smart. ten times more beautiful. Yeah. That's I'm so excited to read this. But I'm I'm sure you're gonna talk a lot about this. The poetry is gonna reflect it. Oh, yeah. But I am curious to know though, you know, like the black experience is something obviously in America that in the last year everybody has been trying to dip into and understand and learn more about and try to understand, you know, especially white allies or just white people in general, anybody who's not black has been trying to figure out more on like, what does that experience actually look like? Do you feel as though the wine industry, for example, has become more open or how has that really shifted in terms of the the black experience in the industry and as a sommelier? Yeah, you're right. Um, Because I don't feel like I've met too many black sommeliers. So like, that's a, that's a badass achievement. Yeah. I mean, at first I was just like, you know, I just want to be known as a regular. And that's started thinking, I was like, nah, y'all need to know I'm black. Y'all need to know that I, 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 I wear this with need pride. To know. You need to know what's up. But no. So basically the cool thing about like the way this industry is moving I'm, I'm really noticing now. Like, I'm really noticing a trend to more of uh, a skin-toned people, like, you know, like us kindred color lines. I'm noticing more gravitation towards the wine industry. And, and specifically, being in Eno, I remember when I started working there, there was only, like, you know, mostly, you know, 40 to 50 to 60-year-old people of white descent coming in and, you mm-hmm. know, ordering stuff. And I'd rarely see, like, a black person come in there. By the time we closed up, because we closed down for, you know, the Rona. Um, <laughs> we, 2020. Yeah, exactly. That was shall not be spoken. Killed everything, right? <laughs> but so we closed down for that. Like, leading up to that, we had regulars, you know, brown, black, Asian. Like, it was really cool to see, like, all colors of the rainbow coming through to Eno, understanding that it was not a, an environment that was, I guess, pretentious. You know, more of like, come in, chill, relax. We're going to tell you about the wine. If you want to hear more, we'll tell you more. But if you don't, just chill and relax and enjoy the juice. That's exactly what the motto was of Eno. My homegirl, Erica, she was, um, we kind of called her our conscience at the place because she's the only person that's been there as long as I have. We both helped open the place up. And she, like, if anybody was not reflecting the spirit of Eno, oh, she let you know. And she's like the sweetest person. She would, she's not a mean person at all, but because this was like her baby, just like this was like my baby, she was like the conscience of the place. So, and me and her talk, still talk weekly. That's my homie. Like whether we work I together or not, that's my partner. Uh, she's like a sister to me, but she, she's so funny. She'd be like, I don't like this person's attitude today. I'm going to go talk to them. And I'm like, Erica, no, 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 Jay. I'm going to go talk to them. I'm like, All right, Erica, do your thing, girl. <laughs> no, but like, it's so true. I mean, you both must have been protective about that. And I hope that you acknowledge too, just listening to you speak about that and how so many people 
started to feel like there was community there that you acknowledge because that was her baby and your baby. That's a direct reflection off of the energy and environment that you wanted to create. And that is the the world that you're continuously looking to create through your writing, through being a certified sommelier, when you work on projects, whether that be with Armando Tam or, you know, other amazing Mm -hmm. chefs out there, everything is reflective of the world that you're trying to essentially inspire in other people. And in this incoming generation, that's a beautiful thing to look up to it's real i kind of want i really really want for people to understand that this is this world of wine is not that small it's big enough to include all of us and even going into the wine like you know these little tasting rooms and stuff you know you know you've been in those it's it really is dominated by more caucasians and to see more black people in it to go online to instagram and see like you know these fests like these things wine and culture fest fest, these these things that are for minorities by minorities it's beautiful because i never knew this world even existed until i got into instagram and i started seeing black psalms and all these black wine professionals and winemakers i knew about some winemakers but the other stuff you know, the sales stuff, I didn't know. Distributors. I'm, like, t- I'm yeah. tied with a bunch of people now all over the nation. And I had no idea, like, and this is over years, but I'm tied with them as far as, like, the wine industry. You know, like, we ask each other questions, DM each other questions about certain varietals and stuff and where they can pick up something. It's really cool, man, <laughs> for once. No, but it, but you're right. Like, there is, there is a shift right now, and there's been a shift in the last year. And, you know, especially for, like, me being born and raised here, like, you didn't hear about fests that were happening, you know, globally or around the nation that were dedicated, produced, put Mm -hmm. on by and for people of color. And to know that there are so many people now that are solely focused on making sure like there is a voice, there is a space like that gets me so excited. Wine and Culture Fest, which is happening, you know, so dope. dope. How do you feel about literally being in a list as some of the year? Like talk, (laughs) what was that like to just know one, you were nominated Two, you made it in the top five and you know, you're in company and in community with other amazing sommeliers. I, like, what is that emotion like? First of all, shout out to Wine and Culture Fest, right? The thing is, I had no idea. Shout out Hugh Society. Hugh shout Society. out Tahira Habibi. I love Tahira. She's, she's actually one of the first people that supported me. <laughs> like, a lot of people were in, this, in this, were in the industry. And they, you know, they, of course, you know, they dropped me a line every once in a while. But she was reposting my stuff. And she would hit me up offline and ask, like, you know, she actually asked me to come out there to Atlanta to, to like, you know, be part of their, like, they were doing some kind of um, event. And I couldn't, of course, I couldn't afford that kind of stuff. But like, shout out to her. She's just always been like a staple in this community and advocate, advocate, and like, yeah, I just have so much respect for her. But I had no idea. I was sitting there, and one of the people that really supports me, she basically, she basically put me in the responses. I was like, oh, thank you for doing that, but I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the nomination. And then all of a sudden, I would say. Maybe about two weeks after that, three weeks after that, they said I was nominated and people were congratulating me and I didn't know what was, what was going on. I was at my, I think it was my nephew's birthday party <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, why am I getting congratulations from everybody? And I look it up and I'm like, oh, I got nominated. Why is my phone blowing up right <laughs> it's now? Crazy, right? Again, I'm happy I'm there. I think it's like an amazing feat to be nominated for anything. And then to get to five, the top five. Top is, five, top five, top five. It's <laughs> really blown me away. Um, <laughs> I, I, it just, it's amazing. It's amazing the community. It's amazing to be in that class. I'm still kind of pinching myself, to, to be honest with you, because I, I didn't expect this. <laughs> I never expected to be in the class of these, some of these people who are amazing. Like Charles Springfield, he's another author. 
He's on the East Coast. He's like my East Coast brother. Like as far as like he's he's an author. He does. He's been writing forever. He's kind of he does the same thing I do. Right. He's an amazing individual. He just interviewed me, and he's just an amazing individual. And like being in that class to be considered like a peer of his is just amazing to me. That's all I gotta say. Like this is this is so dope to me. To I love that, and yeah. I love that you said that he interviewed you because I can't even imagine like how I would personally wrap my head around someone that I look up to, like now wanting to know about me. I'd be like, "What is happening right now?" Yeah, for real. <laughs> oh yeah, and also shout out to Wines with Yali. Follow Wines with Yali on Instagram. She is the one who like nominated me uh well originally i don't know who really nominated but like she's the one who put it in the notes or in the in the comments and uh yes thank you wines with yali she is a big supporter and yeah she's dope i'm loving it i'm digging that wines with yali make sure you are following along i think you should also drop your handle if we're handing out handles right now <laughs> so uh most, all the handles <laughs> most of the stuff you can find from from me is um under my own personal which is jayton gunter just Jayton Gunter, all one word, J-A-T-O-N-G-U-N-T-E-R. But also my publishing company, uh, Grapes and Sand Publishing, it's all one word, Grapes and Sand, P-U-B, so pub, at on, on Instagram. And then if you want to check out any of my books, you can always go to um, grapesandsand.com. Let me just tell you about the name really quick. The reason I came up with Grapes Please and Sand. Please do, yes. <laughs> it's, so, it's so random, right? Like, Why would you name it Grapes and Sand? Because um, you felt like it. <laughs> Shoot, it's our business. What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, my favorite things in, in life, other than writing, is I love wine, of course, as you know, but I also love being on the beach. Somebody who doesn't swim mm. well just loves being near water. That's just what it is. What's your sign? I'm Aquarius. Okay. Yes. I'm a Pisces. This uh, makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. That's how we get along <laughs> so well. But yeah, so I, I, I wanted to name it after the things I loved. I love grapes, wine, and I love the beach, sand. So grapes and sand is what it ended up being. And so you just go to grapes and sand. Dot com and it's right all my books are there there's some new ones coming soon so stay tuned but all my books are there already definitely stay tuned i'm thinking about that one book you're talking about that you're hoping to have published for the end of the year yeah. plus we've got it's a vibe coming out with armando tam yes. so you know that one's gonna be a hitter and the novel's coming too and the novel but also if you haven't read fruit in a glass yet i'm telling you you need to read this it's Thank just you. a genius how you tie relationships with wine and you just make it very approachable i i, I absolutely love everything that you're doing also to to, if for those of you who don't know, but certainly while they're following you, you also host a weekly IGTV live series, don't you? So I have two. I uh, have one that's, and I'm, I'm consistent. Like I'm telling you, I'm really consistent. I don't miss, I don't miss a time. Even he don't mess around. Even on vacations, uh, and my lady doesn't like it all the time, but <laughs> even on vacations, I make sure that I get, I do my weekly thing. So I have Wine Wednesdays uh, on my IG. I post that to, uh, now I'm posting it to YouTube too, so you can catch it on YouTube. But for back uh, episodes, go to IG. And then I also do this thing called Wine Still of the Week. I love Wine Wednesday. That's great. But Wine Still of the Week is really my baby because it's like, I remember being in college and trying to figure out how to get into this wine world, but didn't have the money. And so I would always try to find deals everywhere, like steals everywhere. And so that's why it's called Wine Still of the Week, because basically I'm looking for wines that are under $20 that are punching above its weight class. Uh, and I go everywhere and I try to make it where you can easily get it online or you can find it in a store that I, I know hopefully is local to you like Total Wines or something like that or BevMo or Trader Joe's so that's my job I, I go and try to find wines and every Wednesday and Friday you'll get an episode he is a nugget of information that you should definitely definitely be looking out for and the steal of the week I mean who doesn't want to have a wine that you can enjoy feeling guilt free shelling out some cash on a weekly Real basis talk. which is one of the greatest parts about knowing someone who's a sommelier or being and being 
becoming a sommelier is you dive outside of maybe traditional stuff, right? Yes. Like I always, I'm telling myself I don't need to feel guilty about as long <laughs> as I do my work outside of this. Yeah. But I definitely noticed, you know, in the last three to five years, just how much of a bubble I lived in growing up here. How, you know, you think Napa Valley wine, it's delicious. Don't get me wrong. But you think it's mm-hmm. the end all be all. Yeah. And you don't remember that there is wine, phenomenal wine. Also at, let's talk about maybe a fifth of the price. Yes. Um, coming from all over the world. Yes. And if you're not exploring that, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's what I'm here for. It's funny, too, because my friends, everyone who was, I grew up, you know, of course, you're young. You try 40s. You try all these, like, the hard liquor and all that stuff. And, uh, again, I'm a scotch guy, too, by the way. I love scotch. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> Other than wine, I'm a scotch guy, and I like gin, too. But my friends, you know, they start getting older. They get into these relationships, and they want to understand more about wine. And, I mean, everybody gets my stuff for free, it feels like, because all my friends text me, <laughs> like, yo, I'm, I'm, cooking, I'm cooking pork loin, loin, bro. Like, what should I pair what with What should this? I pair with yeah, this? Exactly. Or, yo, I need, I have, I have this flank steak that I'm marinating this way, and I want, you know, I, I need to know what I should pair it with. And Venmo me $5. They're my boy. <laughs> I should start charging everybody. Up the, would, and I tax it. I balling right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would be balling right now if uh, I was taxing them, but I don't. It's my people. So, But it's just one of those things where, yes, I love the idea of educating and opening people up to wines. Like, I only drink Cabernet Sauvignon, right? I understand that coming from somebody. But if you want to save money, look at a Tanat. You know what I mean? Out of Uruguay. Because you're going to get some of that fleshy fruit, that big, bold fruit, but you're also going to get that tannin structure that you would normally get mm. in a cab. So it's like, I have, I know I have that knowledge. I'm always willing to give that up for people when they, you know, DM me or send me questions or whatever. I'm always here for people. Thank you for giving me that knowledge because I didn't <laughs> even know what that grape rattle was. And now I'm like, okay, Gabby, go look for the tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm all over the place with wine, man. I, I have favorites, but like I really drink all types of wine just so I can have it a, a broad enough palate to explain it to everybody else. I love that. What do, what do you think then are the biggest faux pas when it comes to wine, whether it's buying it, drinking it, whatever? Putting ice in a good wine drives me crazy. Oh, like, yes. But the thing is, like, I've had to, that was originally, and I actually have a chapter I explore that in the book, but the thing is, I've had to pull back from that. Originally, I said, stop putting ice in wine glasses. I repeat, stop putting ice in wine glasses. Don't dilute your wine. But there is a there is a, a little bit of a wiggle room with that. I feel like if the wine is bad, you spend all this money for this wine and it's bad, you want to throw some ice chips in it, do your thing. I get it. But taste it first. That's the big thing. Mm, mm-hmm. The other thing is if the wine is even a little bit off, like, you know, oxidized or whatever, it's another reason to kind of throw a little couple ice chips. But taste it first. Like, don't just throw ice in your wine just to do it because it really does. This person who is a winemaker, and like, really, I feel like winemakers are the artists of the industry. Like, these craftsmen. guys. Craftsmen. They're craftsmen. So they're working their butt off trying to make these amazing wines. Shout out to Tessie. She's one of my favorite female um, winemakers, period. She's one of my favorite winemakers, but one of my favorite. definitely. Shout- Tessie is the, yeah, she's dope. Um, anyway, so these people put their heart and soul into making these wines, and then you're going to throw an ice chip in it without even tasting it and giving it a chance to like see what's really going on. Way to beat. Taste the wine. And if you feel like you want to throw some ice in it, do what you do. Do I'm what not, you do. I'm not judging you after that. No, no, no. Because, you know, at the end of the day, to each their own, right? And it's the whole reason for when it came to you being a buyer for so many people who wanted to find wines that were in their palate. Yeah. We all have different palates. And so at the end of the day, we're not here to judge. We're here to make sure we find something for you that is preferable to you. Exactly. You like throwing ice chips in there? I'm going to turn the other way and be like, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, and another one that used to drive me crazy. The whole idea about, and I actually wrote about this in the book too, uh, the tears thing. Um, the wine. The people, legs. The legs uh. and the tears. <laughs> Like, okay, so I get it if you're blind tasting. All great. Like, because you're, you're really looking for clues to understand what kind of wine this is if you're blind tasting. So legs or tears, whatever you call it, in the glass, it helps to let you know the alcohol content, the uh, viscosity, you know, sugars, things like that. And you can, it'll direct you to what the normal format is for a specific varietal. But when you say the legs on this wine are specifically beautiful and it's gonna, that, that means this wine is going to be amazing based off of just looking at the legs in the glass, you don't know what you're talking about because that does not quantify quality. It just doesn't. Mm. It's, it's, it's something that is there for informational purposes only, but it's not there to define whether the wine is good or bad based off of how fine the legs are. Like, no. <laughs> That's true. And But I do think that a lot of the reason why we have that sort of mentality is because there was for a period of time where people didn't feel too comfortable asking, asking questions, questions about exactly. wine. And exactly. so they felt like you hear this one thing, you like cling on to it, right? Yeah. And you're like, everywhere that I go now, I'm going to talk about these freaking legs you're and how beautiful and sexy they are. You're absolutely right. You see this with a lot of people in tasting rooms. And I, I think that's another reason why people refuse to ask more questions because they feel like they ask a question and people look at them crazy. Like I remember one time, so I was in Monterey. Me and my lady go to Monterey a lot. It's just like a quick, you know, beach area, either that or Capitola. He likes his sand. I like my sand. So it's like Capitola or, or Monterey are, my, are two spots, right? We're in Monterey. We're at a tasting room. And this guy saying he called a, merit, a meritage, meritage. And the guy ripped. He's like, it's not called meritage. And I'm sitting in the tasting room and I'm watching this unfold. He's, and the guy was so snooty. The guy who was working there was so It's not called meritage. It's called meritage, like heritage. Like, that's that's some French way of saying it. They're trying to make it bigger than it is. It's supposed to be her, her meritage. I'm sitting there like, bro, you don't have it. You don't got to be like this. Like, that's the that's pretentious, like, to another level for me. And I don't I don't deal with that. It's not my thing. So that I remember watching that. I was like, I can't. No. I mean, how is this person's never going to even want to open their mouth ever again the ever next again. time they're wine tasting? Ever again. Yeah. I was feeling the same way. I was like, because you crushed their dreams so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you put your nose up in the air and like look down at them like a yeah disapproving mom. Yeah, that's not okay. Not, no, no, no. We're trying to learn. We're all trying to learn. We are all trying to learn. In your experience, I am curious to know what is your two things that I'm curious to know about. One, what do you think is the most underrated wine that you've ever tried? Okay. And the second, what is your favorite wine memory or the thing that just left this lasting impression on you? throughout your journey as a sommelier? So the first question was something- Most underrated. Underrated grape? Or most underrated wine that you've you've ever tried. Or you, we can take it to a grape. Yeah, no, what no, do you feel is underrated? Actually, no, let's talk about, I want to talk about the wine because I actually have a, a specific one that just popped in my head that I think is one of the most amazing bottles you can get. And it's under $20. Did we learn about this in your weekly series? Actually, no, this one goes way back. I used to go to, <laughs> and- Again, people are going to judge, but this is what it is. Like, as a person who's a wine person, you go where the wine takes you. I used to go to the grocery outlet when I was younger, when I was really getting into wine. And, and I found this label called Veranda out of Chile. It's a Cabernet Carmenere blend. Mm. Normally 50-50. They disappeared for a while. The first vintage I tasted was 2004. It was one of the best wines I've ever tasted in my life. Like, I'm not even joking. The balance, the fruit, the tannin structure the length of finish, everything about this wine was amazing. And then what happened was they stopped selling it at Grocery Outlet, so I'm looking for it everywhere. And I couldn't afford the regular price for it. And 
I finally found a 2007 when I get like later on, like years later, I found a 2007. Still amazing wine. I just found out probably about a year and a half ago they're carrying it at uh, Total Wines now. So they finally gotten big enough to get into a big store. Mm-hmm. They're at Total Wines, current vintage. I just tasted it probably about a year and a half ago. Amazing. Still so, holding up. Still holding up. So Veranda is the most underrated, best wine you can get, in my opinion. There's other ones, of course, but that for me, that is one of my favorite favorite i can drink it any time of the day it just makes me happy just thinking about it Ah, (laughs) i see the smile on your face it's so good (laughs) you said it was chilean it's chilean chilean and i'm a huge chilean like wine fan i love love, for value i think they just do a really good job there's some of them that are uh, you know but when you find a good producer or you know what you're looking for you can find amazing deals there and i love that the one thing that you mentioned too as you were talking about that wine you were relating to the finish and the way that it settles on your palate and these other things that people maybe aren't thinking about which at the end of the day when it comes to being a sommelier like you're not just there to be like this wine's good you're paying attention to other things that most of the time people are not thinking about mouthfeel the details yeah yeah that's that's one of the biggest things with me like because i wanted i gotta translate all these all these thoughts i have to layman's terms because i want to get people in and then we can talk about the the specifics later on when you want to get more into it or you maybe you don't maybe we're just drinking wine together and having a good time that's fine too but for people who want to know more i go there with them but, you know, there's a lot, my mind, when I'm tasting wine, a lot of things are trick. Like, I had a lot of, like, things going off in my head, and I'm trying to figure out how to, like, say this in the right way so that people understand and want to, you know, try it out at least. And that's where writing helps. That's where writing helps. <laughs> but that's another reason why I'm a writer and not a speaker. Because <laughs> like, I can I write my book off, but, like, speaking, and, like, that's why I was nervous about this, because... Like, I'm not one of these people that like to talk. I like being behind the camera. And even doing, like, the weekly things, I had to work into that. Like, I had to get better at that because I'm just not a person who likes to be in front of the camera. But I'm all about education. This is stuff that needs to be relayed to the public so that if they want to get into wine at any level, they can. And And practice makes for better. Exactly. Not perfect, just better. Just better. (laughs) So I I take myself out of the equation and say, this is for everybody else. Let's go. I love it. I love it. So your favorite wine memory then, would you say it goes right back to that wine or would you? No, no, no. My favorite. I have so many wine memories. (laughs) So. (laughs) You know it's good when he goes. (laughs) I'll try to make this really, I'll try to make this really quick. I used to do like a little consulting with uh, this restaurant called Michi's. It's a sushi spot and it's really, really well known in the South Bay in Campbell, California. So I used to help them out do a pairing list. They would pair pair up with like one of the local wineries in Gilroy and they would have these like coursed out food and wine pairings and so they would call me in to help out with the wine part with along with two amazing uh women that are like great wine people we would we work together and try to try to knock out like an eight course menu or whatever and so went to this place called Jason Stevens in Gilroy (laughs) he's gonna kill me for this (laughs) I, I love Jason. Jason is amazing. He makes amazing wines. His Merlot is one of the better Merlots I've had in Gilroy. It's probably the best I've had in Gilroy. It's one of the better Merlots I've had, period. That's saying a lot. It, it, it's really, really good. It's top top tier. And along with his other stuff, he makes amazing wines. And his wife now is making great wines, too. We're in there. We're having a good time. We're done with the core style menu. We're, we went to the cellar. We're drinking wine there. We're hanging out. And then Jason comes around everybody and says, you guys, and it's, it's starting to get dark, right? So you can't really see anything because it's in the middle of Gilroy. And it, when it gets dark in the vineyards, it gets dark. It's just all land and fields. Exactly. And so he's like, hey, Jay, who wants to come with me on a uh, tour of the of the grounds? And he has his little golf cart. So he's like, Jay, you want to come? And I was like, eh, okay, I'll come. So he's like, you sit next to me. Everybody else is going to sit behind. The other two people are going to sit behind. And this guy proceeds to drive like a maniac 
through the vineyard late at night. <laughs> We're all holding on for dear life. Like, oh, my, and I'm talking about, I'm decked out. I look good, I, you know, because I got to be suited and booted for this. I'm the song there. So I'm like looking good. I got to bring out the good clothes. All Everybody else is dressed really nice. And he's just heckling, like laughing like a crazy person. And I'm trying to like, what's going on? I'm holding on for dear life. Am I surviving this? And then all of a sudden he goes, so he's driving up a hill. And I'm like, Jason, he's, I was like, where are we going? He's like, don't worry about it. Let's just have some fun. And he goes up this oh. hill. And all of a sudden he, he gets the top and just drives down with this golf cart. We drive through a creek. <laughs> through the creek. Through the creek. I get drenched. So your drip is now in drip. In drip. <laughs> so I'm fully clothed. Like I'm, I'm, I got all these like nice clothes on. Everything is drenched. Everybody else behind me is drenched. He's cackling like crazy. We finally, he like pulls up and then we get up to the scene. He's like, you could dry yourself in the fire because they had a fire, a big old fire going on. And I was just like, I hate you, Jason. Oh my god! <laughs> in the moment, I was having so much fun. But after I was mad, but at the moment I was having so much fun because I couldn't believe he did that. But that's one of those memories I'll never forget because that guy is a wild man. Like, he's still a wild man. He's great, great person. And, and I tend to gravitate towards winemakers because of this. They just can tend to be a little bit wild. And he's definitely that guy. Like, I love that guy. Him. I love uh, Sarah's Vineyard. That's one of my favorite vineyards over there. I do a lot of collaborations with them. I love Gilroy Wines, too. I mean, clearly, you know, not bad enough of a memory that it doesn't bring a smile to your yeah, face nah. as you're talking about <laughs> I, was, I was so, I mean, I looked good. And I was like, oh, I feel good. I was younger too. I had to be like, be like 24 at the time, 25. It's like 15 years ago. I was all trimmed up. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I almost don't even want this session to end. I'm like, how much more time do we have? I've kept you here far too long. It's all good. But literally, this has been such a beautiful experience just getting here, getting to talk with you, learning a little bit about everything that you're doing, you know, as an artist, as a sommelier, as an author. Um, I truly hope you know just how much you shine. And I know you do because you Thank said, you. I've always felt something in me that I knew was great and you're doing it. And I just can't wait to keep watching it unfold. And I hope so many other people tap in and watch it unfold. What is the best way that they can support you? If you can drop your handles again, one more time. Yes, no problem. Um, it's again, you get Instagram is where all my shows go in regardless. You can, you're going to catch me on YouTube, but Instagram is the main one. Jayton Gunter, all one word, J A T O N G U N T E R. And then also my business one where all my books are grapes and sand pub uh, all one word g-r-a-p-e-s-a-n-d-s-a-n-d-p-u-b and then if you want to go to the website and buy any of my books you can go to grapesandsand.com and then also i have merch too so which is really cool i have this thing called like black wino brown wino uh, hats shirts wino for people who just don't want to identify with either um, and then fig stuff and so just go check that out it's on my etsy and you can go to fruit in glass gear you just type in fruit and glass gear and you'll find it it's oh, yeah. Name. And yeah. you going to love it. you going to love it. There's something out there for everybody. And he's decked out right now in his <laughs> wino hat. I am absolutely loving this. Jayton, it has literally been an absolute pleasure. No, no, hold, on, hold on. Thank you so much for allow allowing me to be on your platform and to do this. Like, I, I met you and you're just like, you got to come on my show. And I'm like, am I big enough to be on your show? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm like, am I big enough to have you on my show? Really Which is, you know, just such a silly thing that anybody ever thinks about, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's like, yo, people doing amazing things deserve to be highlighted and that's what this platform is for and I just hope you know just how dope and amazing you are you so and I feel so honored that you would even sit here with me and you know break bread have a bottle of wine with me yes. <laughs> and just you know in, enjoy some good conversation getting to know you and and just all of the incredible things that you're bringing to the table thank you so much I thank, appreciate thank it. you for being cheers. you cheers salute salute <laughs> 
the big sip.